This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now, here's today's podcast. Open your Bible with me to Acts chapter 2. A few years ago, I played goalkeeper for a soccer team in a fairly competitive division. Each Monday night, we arrived a few minutes before the match began to warm up. We exchanged hellos, and we got to work. Our team was comprised of a diverse group of ages and ethnicities and skill sets, all gathered for one mission, to win. We really enjoyed our time together. We fought hard together. Sometimes we bled together. And then after the match was over, we would recap for a minute, say our goodbyes, and head home. Our sense of community was suspended until the next Monday night when we would gather and do it all again. There are multiple layers of similarities to my Monday night soccer league to how many Christians in North Texas approach their relationship to the church. We arrive a few minutes before the service begins. We exchange quick hellos, and we worship together. We really enjoy our time together. But when the service is over, after a quick recap, we say our goodbyes and go back to our lives. Our sense of community is suspended until the following Sunday morning when we gather again. Here, if you'll allow me to pause and just to say that's not how I experienced the Trails Church. That's not how I experienced you. Many of you have meaningful, discipleship-oriented, God-glorifying relationships, deep friendships here, and I thank God for that. But if we're not careful, our understanding of the church will default, will drift into looking like just any other team or organization or board that we belong to rather than the God-glorifying, Christ-centered, life-giving, sin-killing, faith-building, kingdom-advancing community presented in Scripture. Last week, we began to look at this picture of the first Christian church in Acts chapter 2. And what frames this ancient family photo are four primary values that the group was committed to. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And through this descriptive account of a church, we also find prescriptive patterns for us to follow today. Our church mission statement says the Trails Church exists to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel, in community, and on mission. It's the in-community part of this phrase that we will circle our thoughts around this morning as we explore once again this thrilling paragraph from the book of Acts. And as we do, 
just like I mentioned last week, I'm asking that we would just till up the soil of our church culture and plant more seeds of truth so that we would bear continuous fruit, gospel fruit, in the years to come. And so as we count down the weeks moving into uh, a new building, let me just remind us that our aim in planting the Trails Church was never about a building, but building up the body of Christ into meaningful, biblical community. And so let's ask together this question. In what ways am I devoted to biblical community? Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47 presents a flourishing vision of biblical community. One of the primary characteristics of the New Testament, particularly of New Testament Christianity, is fellowship with other believers. Our faith comes with a family. Today we'll look at this early snapshot of the church once more and learn what it looks like to be devoted to the fellowship. There are three realities about this fellowship that I pray we might come to understand. First, the commitment of the church. Second, the community of the church. And third, the commission of the church. Let me invite you, if you would, to stand to your feet as we read now from God's holy and inerrant word. Acts 2, 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. The first aspect of their devotion to the fellowship is seen in the commitment of the church. Chapter 2, verse 42. The words devoted and committed are synonymous. Both mean to attach oneself, to be faithful, to persist. For our purposes this morning, we'll summarize how these early Christians were attached to, faithful toward and persistent in fellowship with God and in those with the family of God. Before we explore their fellowship with one another, the most striking thing we don't want to miss is their fellowship with God. It is no small thing to have fellowship with God. The word translated as fellowship is the well-known Greek word koinonia, Koinonia describes a partnership, a sharedness, a harmony between two things. The word is used 19 times in the New Testament to describe 
the uniqueness of sharing that Christians have, both with God and with one another. The primary reality that we have shared in is the salvation of God, the new life we've experienced in Christ, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's fellowship with God that we want to see first, and I put before you two verses. The first is 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, where the apostle discloses that in writing his letter, the reason he's writing is so that you too may have fellowship, koinonia, with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. The second passage is 2 Corinthians 13, 14, a beloved benediction for the Trails Church, where the Apostle Paul writes, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, and and did you see this? And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And so as we hold up both of these beautiful scriptures in our hands, We come to understand that Christians have been given the overwhelming gift of fellowship with God. How did that happen? Well, it came through Christ. It comes through salvation. We were chosen by God before the foundations of the earth were laid to know Him. The Father ordained our salvation. The Son purchased and secured our salvation. And the Spirit sealed our salvation, so that we might know fellowship with the Trinitarian God who is one in three and three in one. And in our salvation, we have shared in the goodness of God. We've been united to Christ himself. God didn't hold anything back from you in order that you might experience fellowship with him. He gave it all. The focus here is now on fellowship with one another. Verse 42 says that they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Their commitment was not just to Christ, but to all of those who had repented of sin and believed in Christ. We get a sense of how often they were together by the word together. Notice Luke repeats this twice in this passage. Verse 44 is careful to detail. They were together. They loved meeting with one another in the temple, not only on the Lord's day, but day by day in order to worship Christ. And then night by night, we find them together again eating in homes. Their lives were an intertwined community of people. The church was not an add-on to an already packed schedule. It was the family they belonged to. I see how they loved caring for one another. There's this overwhelming sense of mutual care, meeting one another's needs, holding each other up. They were committed to this kind of fellowship with one another. One of the churches that I belonged to as a boy had a fellowship hall. Full disclosure, I was probably eight or nine before I realized the room wasn't called Fellowship Paul. (laughs) The room was large enough to hold a couple of hundred people to eat at one time. It was incredibly sterile, no decoration. 
there was a small kitchen that was more sterile and less inviting. And that's where people could eat. And we see them doing this here. We'll talk about this more actually next week. The idea is good for Christians to eat together. It's even biblical. But let's not think that just because we're with another believer that we're experiencing true fellowship. We may have just had cake. Christian fellowship has a purpose to it. There's an aim to it. There's a Welsh preacher that I have great respect for named Jeff Thomas. And he said it like this. Christian fellowship is aimed at a growing fellowship with God. Christian fellowship is aimed at a growing fellowship with God. It's conversation about Christ. Not just about the things of the church or the world or politics, but talking of Christ wanting to build one another up in the Christian faith. This kind of committed, attached, faithful, persistent koinonia is where the people of God seek to build one another's up in the faith, and as a result, they are themselves built up in the faith. Are you committed to that? A devotion to the kind of fellowship where you are helping other peoples follow Christ. How can you help another person follow Christ? You just have to follow him yourself. Part of what I hope happens in this season we find ourselves in as a church, particularly under the heading of this thought of the commitment of the church, is that we might together recommit to what we have committed to as members of the Trails Church. And at the heart of this, that we would be more committed than ever to know God and help others know him, to be disciples and make disciples. Let us be equally as committed to the word of God and also to one another, people who've been made new by the spirit of God. In their commitment, in the snapshot of this early church, we see clearly their commitment to know God, fellowship with God, and their unwavering commitment to fellowship with one another. The second aspect of their devotion to the fellowship that beams from this passage is the community of the church. The community of the church. Before social media existed, the only way to look into someone's home and understand what it looked like was to be invited into it. Now we have these pictures all over the internet of what's happening inside our families, but used to you would have to be invited over for dinner and get to know what's happening in this home. And so it's as if in this description of the church in Jerusalem, well, like we've been invited over for dinner. And so what I'd like to do is take a moment and just walk through the rooms of this house and just see what we find here. What kind of community was birthed from this commitment to one another? John Stott describes it like this. They were a learning church, a loving church, a worshiping church, and an evangelistic church. I think those descriptions are very helpful in helping us understand the community that was cultivated in Jerusalem. Let's look through those together. The first thing we see in their life is that they were a learning church. 
Last week, we looked at how the foundation of everything happening here followed. That all began with devotion to the apostles' teaching. The teaching of the apostles. How we would understand that is the writings of the Old Testament. The the ministry and teaching of Christ when he was on the earth. And then the apostolic authoritative writing of the apostles. Or what we now call the New Testament. So to say it differently... They were devoted to knowing God and knowing him in his word. They were a learning church. Before Luke tells of any other characteristics that mark this remarkable church, we see that they were a learning church. Second, they were a loving church. It struck me this week, once again, how woven into the fabric of the great commandment To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, mind, and strength is stitched this commandment to love others. Loving God and loving others. Here we see a living example of what that looks like. What does it look like to live a life of love in the context of a local church? See article A. It was love for one another that compelled them to gather for corporate worship so often. Love that placed them around dining room tables together at night and little league sports games and every kind of up and down of life. Love that led them to sell their possessions and give to people in need. Love that was so attractive to an onlooking world. The word love is not said in this text, but it is seen on display in every verse. They were a loving church. Third, they were a worshiping church. I believe that if you looked at all of the things happening in this handful of verses, it could be categorized ultimately as acts of worship unto God. Even in naming this series within our study of the book of Acts, devoted I'm trying to get at the idea of devotion to God being at the very center of all of this. Specifically, we see acts like gathering publicly to worship. The church is praying. They're reading scripture. They're preaching scripture. Uh, We know from books like Colossians and Ephesians, they were singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We find here the worship acts of baptism and communion. The church was made to worship, and here we see a worshiping community. And then finally, they were an evangelistic church. We'll hold on to this idea for a moment and and touch on it a little bit um, under the third heading. For now, let's just note how the church grew and grew. The church grew and grew. How did that happen? Well, the way that Christians loved one another against the backdrop of a darkened culture Their love shone like a light in the night. It was an apologetic of sorts. We see this in John 13, 35. They will know you are my disciples by your love. Francis Schaeffer once wrote, Christian community is the final apologetic. If you're new to Christianity or or the study of, of faith, that word apologetic doesn't mean that you're making an apology. It's the science and the art of defending what you believe. And here what Schaefer is saying is that the final proof 
that the gospel is real, that Christ has risen, that sin has been defeated, is the love that the body of Christ shares for one another. It's a supernatural way of living and a supernatural way of loving. A lost world saw how the good news of Jesus turned the lives of these first disciples upside down and then revolutionized the way that they related to one another. And as we listen to this description in Jerusalem, do you you ever think this just sounds too good to be true? Anybody? Am I the only one? Some of us have never seen this kind of biblical community before. But don't you long for it? A learning church? To be a part of a loving church? A worshiping church? An evangelistic church? Should the Lord tarry and give us strength and length of days? This is when I want to spend the rest of my days building here with you. Not for the glory of the name of any church, but so that we would know this. We wouldn't just see this as a picture, but a reality for us to live in. A church where our Bibles are open as we navigate life together. Where genuine love for brothers and sisters in Christ is palpable. Where we see all of life as a response of worship to God, where we witness many people joining us in this experience, a church where the gospel is the blazing, unchanging center of everything, and the life of the gospel teems outward, and where the culture of our church is informed by the gospel, standing on the truth of God's word with a rich culture of grace and patience and love. Standing unwavering on truth and unapologetically in grace. You long for that? Would you pray for that with me? Pray that we would know this kind of community within our church. And that churches all around would know this. The final characteristic of their devotion is seen in the shared commission of the church, which comes into view in verse 47. These Christians were committed to Christ and to one another. They built a community with a thick gospel doctrine and gospel culture. And they shared a passion to invite any who would believe in Christ as Savior to join in on all the fun. We highlighted how devoted these new followers of Jesus were to growing as disciples, to growing together as a church, yet... That didn't lead them to become an insular group of us four no more. This is how phrases like the frozen chosen get, you know, come to be used. No, their, their commitment and community spurred them outward and onward in the Great Commission. We see evidence of how God worked through their community as they proclaimed the good news of the gospel. Verse 43 says, all came upon every soul. The awe in view there came through the teaching and the signs of the apostles as evidence and outworking of the power of the gospel in the real world. Well, today the evidence and the power of the gospel is seen primarily in the supernatural way 
that the mercy and grace of Jesus transforms the heart of a person, making them brand new in Christ. And how it sweeps through a group of people, reorienting everything. Our life together is meant to make people stand in awe of God. In verse 47, Luke tells us that the church had favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Even people who disagree with the gospel of Christ had favor with them. So this mixture of awe and favor and salvation is all the hand of God. It was not the church who was adding to their number. Did you see that? It was the Lord who was adding to their number. He does the work of salvation. So the commission is clear that we are both to be growing disciples of Jesus and summoned to go and make growing disciples of Jesus. It's not either or. Some churches put all the emphasis on verse 42 and they say, see what a doctrinal church they are. Yes, absolutely. Other churches fixate on verse 47 and say, see how missional this church is. Absolutely. But it's not a either or. This is a both and. And it's important for us to see that they kept the external focus in view as they cared for what happened inside the church. They wanted to grow deeply in Christ, but not so all the learning and fellowship would just terminate on the church itself. But so what they were learning about Christ and experiencing together would move forward in the world. What do you do with all the theology that you learn? Does it terminate on you? Or does it become means for conversation, for disciple making, for evangelism? Is it just kindling for the fire to keep it to yourself? Or do you welcome others to come and be warmed by the same truths that you're learning? A church's devotion to God is evidenced in their devotion to one another and their devotion to the advancement of the gospel in the world. As the gospel spread, churches were planted. And as churches were planted, the gospel spread. And here we are today. Because people pronounced, announced the good news of Jesus. They walked in the goodness of the Great Commission. In all this talking of the church, I don't for a moment assume that everyone here is in the church. And let me just explain that this room is not full of people who were good enough to get in. No, we're only here by grace. We don't deserve any of this. But as we think about the household of God, let me be very clear, there's not a back door. There's only a front door. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is the only way into the family. He is the front door, but the front door is wide open. The front door is wide open. If you're curious about Christianity, about knowing more about who Jesus is, I would encourage you to read Acts chapter 2, the very chapter that we're in, if you've got a Bible open. But instead of verses 42 through 47, I would encourage you to read verses 1 to 41. And there you'll hear a sermon where Peter presents the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus. 
which is the good news of the gospel. He's beginning the conversation to teach these new people how Jesus lived in the place of sinners, died in the place of sinners, but was raised victoriously on the third day, and calling them to deal with the resurrection of Christ. Either it's true or it isn't. But every person must do something with it. Either reject it and spend an eternity apart from him, or receive it and come home. Come into the family of God. As we continue to look at this picture of the early church, let's not be misled. If you've ever looked through a history book and you see these old pictures, you think, oh, that happened once in time, but these things are now extinct. They've gone the way of the dodo. But no, this is not just a snapshot of something that's been extinct that we're looking at in a history book. These are ingredients for the people of God through the ages to live as the people of God in the world. So it's not a, an antique picture of a thing that is now extinct. It's a picture that we're meant to live into, to live out of, to grow into. It begins with us being devoted to the word of God and secondly being devoted to the fellowship. Let's pray that Christ would give us strength and grace to do just that. Lord, thank you for your great word. And I ask that the seeds of your word would be sown into hearts that are fertile soil. They'd be watered by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And they would bear good fruit to your glory. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org.